When you get it, say, got it. John chapter 4. Why the rest of all y'all are getting it. Um, a couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 4. The topic of the sermon was seek. The fact that Jesus sought out this woman at the well. And we looked at it from a, a different angle in the mission of Christ in seeking out this woman at the well. Today, we're going to look at a little bit of what Jesus said to her. So recapping it, we're not going to read uh, the first 22 verses of this chapter, but Recapping it, it said there at the beginning that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment, a divine appointment with this woman at the well. And so Jesus asks her for a drink and then tells her, listen, lady, if you knew who you were talking to right now, you'd actually be asking me for a drink, and I would give you not water from a well, but I would give you living water so you would never thirst again. Totally addressing her need there, that obviously she was looking for love in all the wrong places <laughs> and had this like thing. She had five husbands, right? L- looking for love in every place and obviously trying to satisfy this thing in her heart. With these relationships, and Jesus was saying, listen, living water, living water will quench that thirst. And then he calls her out about the five husbands, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And, uh, and then they begin to talk about worship. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is living, that it is active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that today you're able to speak by your spirit through your word to the deep places of our hearts. Lord, you know exactly where all of us are at. You know exactly what we need. You alone with your living water can satisfy our desires. All of us different, having different needs and different desires, and yet you're able to satisfy and quench our thirst. We ask that you would do it, Lord. We ask in our lives today that your will would be done. And for everybody here today that... that wants the will of God done in their lives even as we study his word. Why don't you just lift up your hands in an attitude of surrender saying, yeah, Lord, do your will here. And Lord, we lift up our hands to you to say, God, we we want whatever you have for us. Whatever you want to speak to us today, Lord, we ask that you would do it. We know that you have our best in mind and your glory in mind. So do it, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It said there that the Father is seeking those who will worship 
him in spirit and truth. You may or may not know that this word worship in the Greek is the word proskuneo. Pros, it means to turn toward. Kaneo, to kiss. To turn toward and to kiss. The Father is seeking those who will turn toward and kiss him. Now, we may all have different ideas of what we think God wants for our lives. We may have different things that God is speaking to us, different things that he's pressing on our hearts and in our minds. But one thing is for sure. God is seeking those who will be intimate with him. In Jeremiah 33, 34, God begins to talk about the new covenant that he would make with Israel and eventually inaugurate to us, the church. And he says to them there, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. The new covenant was a three-part covenant. It was a covenant where God would deliver men from this working and this works-based mentality and trying to fulfill the law. And instead, he would write the law on our hearts and he would do this inward work in our hearts to change and enable our lives for his glory and to be more like him. Secondly, it was a covenant of forgiveness. He said, uh, I will forgive their sin and their iniquity I will remember no more. But thirdly, it was a covenant of intimacy. He said, they shall know me. They shall know me. It's this Hebrew word, yada. The most intimate thing that a man and a woman could experience in our humanity is, is sex, right? In the context of marriage is how God designed it. And this word yada is used to speak of like when Adam went in and knew his wife Eve, to know his wife Eve. It's the same word yada. And so when God said, here's my idea for relationship with humanity, he chose to use this word yada, this, this word speaking of Intimacy, absolute, just deep, deep, deep intimacy. And so we know that Jesus purchased with his life the new covenant. Therefore, Jesus, with his blood, with his life, purchased for us this access to intimacy. The veil, remember, was torn in two, signifying that God was welcoming us into his presence. Remember, back in the day, only the, pre the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. Israel was separated from God. They were outside of the Holy of Holies. They were outside of the holy place. They were out in the outer courts. They were separated from God. They could not be in the presence of God. Only the high priest once a year, and even that, was, there was nothing exciting about that. The dude was dreading it, was scared to death. You know, he had to wear bells around his ankles so they could hear if he was still walking. They, they, he'd tie a big rope around his waist, and they'd kind of let him in. And if they heard the bells stop ringing, they'd be like, well, he fell dead in the presence of God. And so they'd bring him back out. It was a dreadful, fearful thing. Like the dude might just die while he's in there because he's in the presence of a holy God. So we were separated from God. Humanity was separated from God. And God tore the veil in two from the top to bottom saying, humanity, come on in. Come on in. I am welcoming you into my presence. It's not just that God allows us to experience intimacy with him. He welcomes it, desires it, and longs for it. He wants it. It says here, the Father is seeking 
those who will worship him. Seeking the God of the universe who holds the universe in the span of his hand is seeking. The God who needs nothing, who in and of himself is totally sufficient. He's seeking, he's looking for those who will be intimate with him. God has given us this capacity that no other creature has to worship God and to be intimate with him. Your, your little dog, Fluffy, he can't be intimate with God. Your little cat, the trees outside, they can't have relationship with God. God has given us this thing as human beings, this capacity that we can worship God. We often think that God's primary intention in saving us was to help him save the rest of the world and to help him edify his church. I just want to remind us today that God does not need us. As Britt often says, God loves to use us, and God has chosen to not work independent of his people, but through his people, amen, yes. But God doesn't need us. Like, he wasn't, the father wasn't sitting with the son one day and said, hey, man, we, we don't have any dreadlocks, do we? <laughs> oh, father, nah, man. Okay, we better say we're going to need some dreadlocks if we want to do this thing right. Like, we don't, we don't have, is there enough musicians? We need some more musicians. Or well, there's not enough businessmen. There's not, there's not enough money. That guy's got money. We should probably save him, right? We need that, right? That's not how it went down in heaven. God doesn't need us. He chooses to use us, but he does not need us. The primary reason for God saving us was not to help him save the rest of the world or to help him edify his church, although he does want to use us to do that. Christ ultimately died to redeem humanity to himself. Yes, there's all these wonderful byproducts and all these wonderful other things, but ultimately, ultimately, Christ died to redeem humanity to himself. And until we grasp that, we're never going to know what true life is. We're never going to know what true life is. I used to think that the reason that God saved me was so I could do stuff for his kingdom. And I was stoked about it. You know, I have in, in my family, like, there's so many workaholics. And so I get that, I get that way, like, I just want to do, always put my hands to something, getting the job done. And so when I got saved, it was like, yeah, and the Lord wants me to get the job done and do it and do it and do it. And, and all right, Lord, put me to work. And I was stoked about it. I wasn't feeling like I was a slave or something like that. I felt like legitimately like, yeah, all right, I'm going to, God save me so I can work for his kingdom. And so I built this thing. I, I, when God called me to do music, to minister through music, to preach the gospel and edify the church through music and writing songs and performing those things and putting out records and all that stuff. I took that and I said, all right, I'm going to build this thing. And I sculpted myself this beautiful idol, this beautiful idol. No, I didn't know it was an idol. And I was like, Lord, look at this thing. This is good, right? You like this, Lord? Look at it. It was in the shape of guitars and songwriting and performing and putting out records and all that stuff and ministry. It's just this beautiful idol that I, I cruised around with it like this, thinking I was so, so self-righteous and doing ministry. And this is why I was created. I got this thing. And one day, about six and a half years ago, 
God took this sledgehammer and just like, bam, just shattered it. And I was like, where'd it go? My entire identity was wrapped up in this thing, was wrapped up in ministry, was wrapped up in this work of God. So much so that when God broke it, you see, when we begin to exalt something like that, God is jealous. God is not down. It could be good stuff. Ministry, good stuff. I wasn't like singing songs about Satan or something. It was ministry. It was good stuff. But it became bigger and better than God. And God said, I'm jealous for your attention and for my glory. So he broke it. He tore it down. And I, I felt totally just naked and exposed and like I had no purpose in life. So much so that for several weeks, I, I just was just looking for sin to try to satisfy this thing that this idolatry was satisfying before. I knew God was trying to say to me something, and I was just kind of mad. I didn't want to talk to God. I didn't want to hear from God. So for a few weeks, just trying to satisfy this like inner craving that the idolatry was satisfying, and finally I came to God, kind of mad, you know, and frustrated, and I said, all right, Lord, what, what? what's the deal? And the Lord spoke to me so, so sweetly and so kind and just said, son, do you really think that I, I sent Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead so you could do music, write songs, or teach Bible studies? Son, the, the main reason I sent Jesus to die and raise from the dead is because I wanted you to be with me. And he was going to provide a way for you to be with me. That's, that's why I did it. Christ died ultimately to redeem humanity Amen. to himself. A.W. Tozer's spin on it says, to hear some preachers today, you'd think that Christ died so we would not smoke anymore. <laughs> to hear some preachers today, you would think that Christ died so we would not drink anymore. But Jesus Christ was born of a virgin suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, and rose from the grave, not just to deliver us from sin, but to make worshipers out of rebels. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 what the greatest commandment of the law was, he replied by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, the first and greatest commandment isn't to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, just because God like arbitrarily, flippantly kind of said it like, I don't know, well, let's, that sounds good, right? That kind of covers all the bases, to love the Lord your God with everything you got. Yeah, let's, let's, let's say that. The reason that's the first and greatest commandment is because this is what we were created for. And in this, we find our place. We find our identity. When God just stripped me of all that idolatry that was, it was ministry and music, you know what I was left being? All I was was just a Christian. All I was was just a son of God. That's it. I had no other name. I had no other identity. Just bought with the blood of Jesus. That's it. Just a son of God. But that's not just it. That's everything. That is everything. And the second commandment, 
To love your neighbor as yourself can only be fulfilled in as much as we are loving God first. You know, Jesus said, he who, forgive, who, he who has been forgiven much forgives much. And he who has been loved much loves much. In that same way, I believe that the degree to which we love our neighbor and do mission is directly related to the degree to which we love God and allow God to love us. God is not primarily interested in how much we can do for him. He is primarily interested in our hearts and our lives being fully committed to him. Now, let me balance that by saying God has left us here on this planet to be his hands and his feet. We are the body of Christ, which means that God wants to touch, heal, and save the nations through our lives. That's why we're doing this thing, Missio Christi, right now, right? That we are the body of Christ. God wants to touch humanity and save the world through our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. And so we, we've got to balance it. But we can get so consumed with doing mission that we forget that it is Christ's mission, that we are followers of Christ first. It is his deal, and we are following after him first in his mission. It is Missio Christi. It is not the mission of reality or the mission of Dominic. It is not our mission. It is not my mission. It is not your mission. It is the mission of Christ. But it'd be really easy for us to get so wrapped up in the work of God that God kind of gets lost in it all. And then what are we left with? Just work. And idolatrous work at that. If God gets lost in it all, then it's just work. Then we're just like the Pharisees. We're just like those whitewashed tombs, you know? Looks so good on the outside and looks like you've, all, you've got it all together. But God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't look at the works. He wants our hearts. The crazy thing is that as we cultivate intimacy with Jesus, our lives begin to overflow with who he is. As we cultivate intimacy with Jesus, our lives begin to overflow with who he is. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 2.15. He said that we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. As we cultivate intimacy with Jesus, our fragrance becomes that of Christ Jesus himself. And only when we press into Jesus can true mission and true ministry flow from our lives. At reality, it's kind of become a, a mantra regarding ministry that true ministry flows from intimacy or effective ministry flows from intimacy. And it's true, man. I mean, it is so true. But I guess my fear is that we could say it so much and become so familiar with this that that truth loses its truthfulness in our life and its, its power in our life. We can't allow that to happen. Jesus said in John 15, 5, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's true. It's a true statement. If, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Listen to where Jesus puts the emphasis and the action. If you 
abide in me. Where's the command? The command is in abiding in me, not in the bearing of fruit. He says, if you abide in me, that's where the action is, then you will bear much fruit. If you don't abide in me, if you're broken off, if you're laying on the ground, you will bear no fruit. You ever seen a a dead branch on the ground bearing fruit? Not going to happen. In fact, Jesus said, no, it dries up, it withers away, and it's good for nothing but to be thrown into the fire. Don't be that person. Don't be that life that's just so dried up and so disconnected from the source, from the vine, that you... You lose all strength and all power and all effectiveness and all ability to bear fruit. You just dry up and wither away. And to be thrown into the fire, I don't know what that means, but it's not good, I'm sure. (laughs) Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He's saying, press into me and your life will produce fruit. Over the last several months, I felt the Lord speaking to me and saying, son, just come be intimate with me. Just come be intimate with me. I don't know what you think about the Song of Solomon, if it's just a story of Solomon and his lover, or if it's an allegory, you know, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. And I'm not totally sure what I think about the Song of Solomon in regards to that. But I do know that this passage has been ministering to me greatly. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, I'll read it to you guys. Verses 8 and 9, the, the, the bride speaking, says, Behold, he comes, leaping on the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. You just get this picture that the, 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 the bridegroom is just leaping over the mountains, just coming, running to see his, his bride, right? And then when he gets there, he says he's looking through the lattice. Like, I just picture him like, where is she? Where's my girl at? Where's my bride? Just trying to get a glimpse of his bride. And then verses 10 through 13, And my beloved spoke, and he said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For months now, I've I felt the Lord just saying to me, come away with me, my love. Rise up, my fair one, my love, and come away. Maybe today, God is saying the same thing to to some of you. And maybe today, you're just like me, and you've been saying, oh, Lord, but there's so much to do. I'm just busy, Lord. I mean... The, the family needs me. My job needs me to ministry, Lord. Your work, oh God. It needs me. I want to look at the story of a girl who felt that same exact way as we turn now to Luke chapter 10. Just one book back, Luke chapter 10. 
Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he, that is Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about so many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha is like so many of us, or should I say so many of us are like Martha. Her heart was good. She obviously loved Jesus. She welcomed him into her home. She wasn't a, an evil woman by any means. But she was worried and troubled. And we are worried and troubled so often, but mostly distracted, I think, by so many things. But Jesus said only one thing. There's only one thing that is absolutely necessary. To sit at his feet and to hear his word. In this life and in the church and in mission, there is always going to be a million things that need to get done. There's always going to be a million needs. But Jesus said only one is absolutely necessary. Of all the things that need to get done, there's only one that's absolutely necessary. You want to be effective for the kingdom and glory of God? First learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Now, I'm not talking about just reading a chapter of your Bible on your way out the door to work or during your 15-minute lunch break skimming through a passage of Scripture while you're eating your chicken sandwich. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really pressing in to Jesus, really digging in to who Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine if you took out your spouse on a date, if I grab my wife, Emily, and say, hey, baby, we're going to go out. And we walk down to the beach or drive down the beach or whatever because now we live in Oxnard and we can't walk to the beach anymore. We drive down the beach and we roll up on the sand and we look at the, 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 the waves for a few minutes. I put my arm around her and I'm like, oh, baby, five minutes is up. You're cool. You're good, right? Our time together is, that was good, right? Okay, you, you all right? Okay, I'm, I'm going to, Okay. Like, what if that was the extent of our intimacy and our, our dates and our relationships? Or like, we had a, a couple-minute conversation, and baby, I love you. You're so sweet. You're so good. Tell me something. Good? Okay. Give me a kiss. I love you. All right, baby. You're good, right? And that was the extent of our intimacy. What if that was the extent of your intimacy? You laugh, right? It's ridiculous. It's stupid. But nobody laughs when we talk about it with Jesus. Nobody laughs when we talk about our lack of intimacy with Jesus, but that's exactly what we do. Are you finding yourself in your life short-tempered and without patience? Maybe it's because your time with Jesus is short and you're lacking passion in your intimacy with him. Are you finding yourself without joy 
Maybe it's because your intimacy with God is lacking, and it says that in His presence is the fullness of joy. I know there's some people here today who are finding themselves feeling like their strength has run dry. The trials, the things that are coming against you, maybe it's the temptation or just the daily drama of life or family or relationships. It's just too much. It's too hard to handle. I feel like my strength is just dried up. Maybe it's because your devotional life is also dried up. Maybe you're finding yourself discontent and unsatisfied with your life. Well, it's probably because you're not feasting on Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who gives living water. Maybe because you're not sitting at his feet and hearing his word. You know, the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what I had to do? I had to start scheduling these blocks of time with the Lord every day. Like, we all say that, like, yeah, dude, I, I schedule time, I have time with the Lord in the morning or whatever. No, like, on my calendar, like, in iCal, like, it's like this. If you look at, like, a Wednesday, for instance, 8.30 a.m. to 1.30, staff meeting at Reality. 1.30 to 2, lunch. 2 p.m., meet with Stan. 3 p.m., meet with Brendan. 4 p.m., meet with Jesus Christ. That's how my calendar looks. And so I just started ending my work day at like 4 o'clock. And I'll be in the office at church or something, and I'll be like, all right, boys, I'm out. It's 4. I got a meeting. And I'll just go and get alone with Jesus. I'm in the studio working on stuff. Two weeks ago, I was in the studio working on a, a new record right now. And uh, the anybody know who the Red Hat Chili Peppers are? Yeah. Okay. They're like the biggest rock band in the world, maybe. No, I'm just one of them. So if you don't know who they are. Weird. <laughs> but their founding manager, he was the manager for like 15 years, from like the beginning till the year 2000, like their entire heyday, right? We, we began to build this relationship, and he was hanging out at our studio last week. His name is Lindy Getz. He doesn't know the Lord. Awesome guy, though. Really, really cool man. He was hanging out at the studio, and uh, it was getting close to 4 o'clock, and I was like, hey, dude, I, I got a meeting. Like, I'm hanging out with the founding manager of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's like a really cool thing for me. He's telling me all these fun stories about the beginning days of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I was like, hey, dude, I, I got a meeting. Like, I didn't tell him it was with Jesus. He would have just been all like, what? <laughs> but I was like, I got this, I got this meeting, man. I, 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 you know, I got to go pretty soon. I had to, like, schedule it into my life. You know, for, for Jesus and Moses, it was first thing in the morning, early in the morning. For Brit, he gets up at 4 a.m. to spend time with Jesus because he said once the sun comes up, he just gets distracted and worried and troubled about so many things, and so many things are demanding his time, and he just wants to go and get stuff done. And so he gets up before the sun gets up. Me, I don't get up before the sun gets up. <laughs> like my brain doesn't really start working until 8 a.m. And so if I get up at 4 a.m., it's like this. Oh, good morning. Like I'm jipping the Lord, like straight up. If I get up at 4 a.m. to spend time with the Lord, or even 6 a.m. to spend time with the Lord, I'm like, good morning, Lord. So you want to you wanna snuggle? <laughs> <laughs> like I ask, I'll ask the Lord, Lord, you can speak to me in my dreams, right? You give people dreams? 
So for me, like, that is not good. For you, maybe it's, it's not the morning. I was so ministered to by something that Hudson Taylor said. So good. He said, whatever your best time of the day is, give that to communion with God. What's your best time of the day? My best time is not 4 a.m. And I used to try and think it was, you know, more spiritual to spend time in the Lord with the morning. It's great if you can do it to get with the Lord before the rest of your day. It's killer. But then I heard that, like, what is your best time? And so for me, like, I'm a musician, you know, like, I get really creative and my brain's working, usually at night. But even that was just too much, too hard for me, too many things. I can get tired and, and the enemy will make sure that I fall asleep, you know, if it's, it's late. And so what I had to do was at the end of the workday when my mind is already, like, going, I'm already in go mode, I'm already in do mode, I'm already in, like, action mode to just stop that workday early and to go and be with Jesus. So all that energy that I've been using all day to, like, push into getting stuff done, I just take it and, like, press it into to intimacy with the Lord. And that, it, it's been absolutely insane for me. Like, seriously, some of the best, raddest, most intimate times I have ever had with the Lord since I started doing that. So what's your best time? Take that and spend it with the Lord. But listen, if you don't schedule it, you may never get to it. You want to know why? Because everything and everyone around you is going to try to suck that intimacy, that intimate time with Jesus away from you. Your computer, your smartphone, your emails, your demands at work, the TV, your hobbies, your relationships. There are a million things that can demand your attention. And trust me, if you do not schedule time with Jesus, then Satan will make sure that your schedule is full of everything else. Guaranteed. Don't test him in this. And if you're going to wait, some of us today are like, you know what, if I get some, if I get some free good time, then I'm going to spend that with the Lord. Satan will make sure that you have no free time. Satan will make sure that you have no spare moments to spend with Jesus. Because listen, if he can disconnect you from the vine, then he can make you effectiveless in this life. And you are the body of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. God wants to accomplish his work in this world through us. And so if Satan can keep you disconnected, then your life won't bear fruit. Your life won't be effective. It won't be potent for the glory of God to the world around us. J. Oswald Sanders said, we are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price involved. It's not easy. It's not easy. Your flesh and the world is already calling you. And so that in conjunction with the enemy, it's like, it's way easier to just, no, I'll just read my, my Bible a little bit and I'll just like say a prayer and that'll make me feel good. I'll feel like I'm good with the Lord. I'm not talking about like some checklist or doing some thing that you feel like God wants you to do. I'm talking about intimacy with Jesus. I'm talking about actually pressing into the Lord, actually sitting at his feet and hearing his word and just being with him, just being in his presence. 
just like blessing him, just getting on your face and thanking him and loving on him and opening up to one of those, those psalms at the end of the book of Psalms that just gives him praise and just, oh, Lord, you're so good. I'm just blessing you. Just spending time with Jesus like you would love on your spouse. Baby, you're so beautiful. I love you. Look, I, I want to I do this for you. I want to take you to this place today. It's going to be so fun. I want to go and bless you. You know, no dude wants to go to Disneyland. <laughs> one time you ever go to Disneyland is when you want to bless your, your, your girl. I remember back in the day, I took my wife to Disneyland, man. That wasn't fun for me. I'm the, I don't go to Disneyland. <laughs> but it blesses my wife. Oh, Disneyland. <laughs> it's, it's to be, spend time together. That's like intimate, right? Your relationship grows and builds. I'm talking about deep relationship, time together with Jesus, just loving on him, blessing him, not like, okay, here's my list of stuff I need to pray for and ask the Lord for. I'm not talking about just that. Sure, that, that's part of like our relationship with the Lord. He's our father. He loves to give to us. Yes. But I'm talking about just being with Jesus. And sometimes there's going to need to be some sacrifices. It's not, it's not easy. It's going to be hard sometimes. You may need to take a little bit less time at work which means you're going to make a little bit less money. You may need to spend a little bit less time in that relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You may need to turn off the laptop when you get home or not open up the computer or turn on the computer when you get home or turn off your phone when you get home. You may need to sacrifice some sleep and get up earlier. But Jesus sacrificed his life to provide the opportunity for us to even do this. You say, but dude, I, I, I need to do that thing. I, I need to spend time there. Nope. Jesus said there's only one thing that's needed. Nope. Just sit at my feet. Hear my word. That's, that's the thing that is needed. I mean, do we really think that if we take a little bit less time at work, which means a little bit less money, that next week we're going to be on the streets broke. And the Lord's going to be like, bro, you shouldn't have like taken less time to spend time with me. Like, you shouldn't have not worked so much. I mean, didn't you know you were going to be like not making enough money? Just, I mean, just to spend time with me. I don't think the Lord is going to do that. He's our father. He said, look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass of the field. You see them stressing out about what they need? Are you not more important than the birds of the air and the grass of the field? Your father knows what you need before you ask him of it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you add or need will be added unto you. Now, some of us this morning need a little bit of a jump start. Because the way we are, we're like, okay, dude, I, tell me something to do to help me get started. And that's, I understand that. It's not... It's not evil. That's okay. You know what I've been really blessed by? I want to challenge some of you guys to do this this week. I've been so blessed by, in Acts 13, it, said, it says that they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. We don't see that they're interceding for anything when they're fasting. They're just ministering to the Lord. Whenever I've fasted in my life, it's always been to pray for something to, like, 
ask the Lord for something. Like I'm praying for this person or, for instance, when my wife and I moved up here six and a half years ago, I had no job. I had no money. I had no place to live. I didn't know how to do anything. My wife was pregnant. We didn't have insurance. And so I'm like, I'm going to fast and pray. (laughs) Or that person, man, they're so far off from the Lord. Their marriage is falling apart. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray for them. But in Acts 13, they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. What does that mean? To min- they weren't ministering to, not ministering to people, ministering to the Lord. What does that mean? It means to just give to God, to just bless God, to just serve God, to just love on God. And so a, a few weeks ago, I just, one Thursday, I just, I just fasted like breakfast and lunch. And I just got away for a couple of hours. And I didn't mention myself once. I didn't mention my family or ask for anything once. I just began to bless God and say, Lord, you're good, and just to worship him. And something happens when you neglect that spiritual need. I'm sorry, you neglect that physical need of eating and food, and and you meet the spiritual need. You neglect the physical for the spiritual. Something happens, and that's why there's there's that power in prayer when you intercede when you're fasting. But seriously, some of the deepest, raddest, most intimate times I've ever had with the Lord have been when I just fasted like breakfast and lunch and just got away for a couple of hours and just blessed the Lord, just got on my face and loved on Jesus. And we feel like, okay, if I do this, what's it going to accomplish? And like, I didn't get anything out of that. Like there was no prayers answered in that. All I got out of that was just more Jesus. But it's the best thing ever. That's the, that's the God of the universe. We're Jesus. It's all I need. You got drama? Give me Jesus. You got trials? Give me some more Jesus. You got fire and people coming against you? Give me more Jesus. You got financial problems? Just give me Jesus. Give me some more Jesus. That's all we need. And Jesus said, When you seek me, sorry, Jesus didn't say it. The Lord said it to Israel. When you seek me, you're going to find me. You may not find answers, but you're going to find me. And maybe, maybe God wants you to do that. I'd say that if you can do it, I want to challenge you to do that this week. Just fast, a couple meals. Maybe it's, you, you can take an extra, a long lunch break. And you just go away and just be with Jesus. You just don't eat lunch and you be with Jesus. You deprive yourself of that, that need of lunch and you, you just be with Jesus. I recognize in closing here that it's a balancing act. We have to be careful because while we can get so consumed with the work of God that we forget about pressing into God, we can also and probably more easily get so consumed with ourselves and our own personal holiness and trying to cultivate intimacy with Jesus that we forget that we were actually left here on this planet as ambassadors for Christ. We can forget that Jesus said, I send you into the world. Father, just like you sent me, I send them into the world. If God was only concerned with our intimacy with him, then he would just take us home. He wouldn't have left us here, right? It'd be so much easier in heaven, and it will be so much easier in heaven. God, I'm not saying that God is only concerned with that. I'm saying that God is most concerned with that. And all those other things that he's concerned with, 
are an outflow of that. As we press into Jesus, the fragrance of Christ spills out of our lives. So to truly glorify God, to make his name more known in our lives, our communities, and the nations, to be truly as effective as possible in our mission and our ministry, there is only one thing that is needed to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how we need you. This is not natural stuff. There's nothing natural about this. So, so contrary to what the world around us would call us or try to call us to do and what our flesh wants to do. But Lord, this is what you want. You want this, Lord. You died for this, Jesus. So we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. We admit that we can't do this. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Maybe if you want, you can extend your arms again to him. And just It's a picture of receiving from the Lord and surrender. Lord, please give me more of you. Give me your power to just stop, to be still, and to be with you. To sit at your feet and hear your word. We're going to worship now through song. And if there was ever a day to come get on the carpets, I think today would be the day to just come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to him as he says, come away with me. My love, there's prayer team available. Love to pray with you.